Hello, you headers. I have got two studies to share with you today that are very interesting. The first study, you're going to love this. The health impact of toxic relationships. What do you think? What do you think the health impact of toxic relationships is? Really good, really bad? Have you ever been in one? But sometimes you'll notice that people can be smashing the health and fitness goals and then one toxic relationship or a bad turn somewhere and boom, shit goes down the pan, right? That's what happens. So let's have a look at this study then and see what the impact was. For three weeks, researchers at the University of Auckland asked 4,005 people, 34% female, 64% male, 0.3% other, average age 48, to wear smartwatch that tracked their blood pressure and heart rates. The participants also completed assessments that measured their stress and ability to cope with life's ups and downs. Every few days, the assessment also asked folks to reflect on their closest relationship, answering questions like, to what extent did you feel satisfied with the person today? And did you experience conflict with this person today? When the researchers crunched the data, they determined the study participants with more positive relationship experience also tended to have lower stress levels, less negativity, more effective coping, lower blood pressure, lower heart rate reactivity, so that means the heart rate didn't massively spike when they were under stress and improved psycho physiological function. In contrast, those with more negative relationships experienced more stress, worse coping, higher blood pressure. They also had more significant blood pressure reactivity. In other words, their blood pressure jumped when they were under stress. Okay? So when we're looking at your health and fitness and everything, a turtle, we understand. It's not as simple as saying, get on a deficit, right? That's advice that's been thrown on online. Get on a deficit, everything falls into place. Obviously, fat loss, you need a deficit. The scientific fact is there. But getting into a deficit is a completely different problem. You know, the map is in the journey, if you think of it that way. You've got the map, and you look at the you look at the map, and you go, right, go from Wales to England there. When you actually do that journey, you might be going over mountains, down ditches, overlooking across a bridge. You know, you God knows, there's a lot of stuff in that journey that you didn't expect when you mapped it out. So you map out the deficit, but then you don't expect maybe bad relationships, breakups and all this stuff to happen. And when they do happen, it really do impact you. So we think, right, what do we have to do here? Do we reassess our goal? Do we make things harder for ourselves by trying to stay in a deficit and handle bad relationships and stress our jobs? Or do we say, hey, I'll eat well because I know it's going to help my mental health. I'll definitely still go on a walk even when I feel shitty and I'm not going to put all the pressure on myself to lose weight but I'll track if I can but if not I'm going to be moderate that's maybe a better place to be and that's where you tap into the turtle community that's why we do the morning radio chats that's where we go the daily podcast that's where we go the zooms there's a chance for you to speak and we do talk about diverse topics we don't just talk about fat loss we talk about work stress changing jobs people talk about bad relationships we talk about these things so you don't feel alone right that's important and it's also important that when you go through these periods where you're going through bad relationships or whatever, is to look at your strengths, you know, like your coping ability, your friendship groups, making sure you have outlets for stress. Because Robert Sapolsky has said this in his research, you must have outlets for stress. When he tested the two rats, one rat was getting stressed by electric shock and didn't have an outlet for stress. The second rat was getting shocked the same, but had something to bite on as an outlet for stress. Well, the rat that was able to bite on stuff didn't develop any ulcers, but the rat that had no outlet for stress was developing a lot of uh, ulcers. So being able to 
offload the stress in that sense. And look, working out is good for it. Walking is good for it. Um, speaking to your closest friends about it is good for it. Journaling is good for it. Um, eating well could be good for it. Like I'm doing this for myself. I'm not going to let this wreck my nutrition. I'm not going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fuel myself well. And that might be something like, do you know what? I'm accountable for that and it's great. And you need to kind of cheer squad as well. So every small wins, you want to make sure you, you really do celebrate them because they're massive. Small wins are massive anyway. That's what changes your life. So we should celebrate them. Like BJ Fogg says, you have to celebrate the small wins because that's the actual thing that changes your life. But sometimes we go, yeah, I did a workout today. Yeah, I tried my, tried my nutrition today. What do you mean you just did a workout today? That's the things you do and it changes your life over time. They're looking awesome. Celebrate them. Anyway, found that quite interesting. That's just bit. We, we knew that. Like We didn't need... We didn't need to know that, do we? Um, here's a study on your brain and processed foods. 2019 study, participants were offered ultra-processed foods, ate 500 calories a day more than their counterparts who ate un only unprocessed foods. We know this. If you're eating ultra-processed, the tastier, higher salt, usually higher fat, higher carb, it's easier to overeat. So 500 calories a day, no shocker. In a follow-up study, the researchers showed that the higher the energy density of a meal, the more someone will eat which means most foods that are ultra-processed have got more calories per um, gram, essentially. There's more calories. So if you look at a chocolate bar, then you look at like the equivalent of the calories of a chocolate bar in melon, the melon is a lot bigger. There's a lot more melon, you know what I mean? And it says here as well, 73% of the US food supply is now ultra-processed. Okay. So what this study found in quick, weight gain was the same in two groups. So participants gained a little weight, which you'd expect to happen when you add two daily snacks without cutting back on anything else, right? So they looked at these people, added in processed snacks and not. Weight gain was the same, right? Calories is equated, the weight gain was the same, right? And there's no difference in blood work. So this is obvious. Even if you eat ultra-processed or unprocessed, if you're eating the same energy, it's the same gain. Okay, there might be slight difference, but this is what it says. However, this is where it gets interesting in the research. Taste preferences. After eight weeks, the participants who ate high-fat, high-sugar yogurt twice a day showed a reduced preference for and liking of the lowest-fat snack option. They also showed less desire for an, enjoy an enjoyment of the highest-fat choice. As for sweetness, both groups expressed a reduced preference for drinks with the least sugar. Right? So these are big findings, but they take a bit of explanation. The researchers used functional magnetic resonance image, fMRI, to see which parts of the brain reacted to two different circumstances. Antis anticipation of high-fat, high-sugar milkshake, consumption of the milkshake. The participants who got the fat and sugar-rich yogurt showed the biggest change after eight weeks. Anticipation of the milkshake produced stronger neural responses in the four different parts of the brain relative to participants' baseline activation in those areas. So consumption of the shake also turned the signal up in multiple brain regions, right? The researchers wanted to see if changes to the brain's response to food would also affect participants' performance in a learning task. In this case, they used a test that had nothing to do with the food. It involved sounds and images. The test required participants to anticipate those images, which would follow with auditory cues. Some of the sound image associations were highly predictable, while others were highly unpredictable. Crucially, the fMRI scans focus on parts of the brain that predict upcoming rewards. Participants who got the high-fat, high-sugar yogurt showed increased recruitment of those reward-driven neural circuits. The study's authors believe their data suggests this startling possibility. 
eating high-fat, high-sugar foods changes the way the brain in ways that predispose people to seek out those foods in pursuit of the reward they offer. It's similar, the authors say, to the way addictive drugs work. Each dose makes you more likely to seek out the next one. If further research supports conclusions, it suggests in some people that food choices rewire their brains in a way that puts them on a glide path to obesity, even if they're relatively lean and have no obvious health risks. So, all this is saying is, eat the stuff that's incredibly tasty, that makes your brain go crazy, you're going to want more of it. This is not shocking. You cut those things out for a few weeks and you've got less desire. So, again, eat the food you like in moderation, but if you're not a person that can moderate chocolate biscuits, don't even try doing it. Same with alcohol. If you can't moderately drink alcohol, you always binge, you'll probably have to cut alcohol completely. This is why you become your own scientist and figure out for yourself. So, weight gain was the same. We know this. We've said this for a while, but obviously the psychological impact of eating pleasurable foods all the time might be something to look at. And I would love to know what your opinion on this is on Turtle Radio. And I hope this podcast was useful. And get your one big thing done. And I'll see you soon.